What does 2015 hold in store for international traders? It could be a bumpy year. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. ready for a rash of new regulations and tougher requirements for complying with the laws governing importers and exporters. At the same time, there's some good news on the horizon in the form of bureaucratic streamlining of the filing process. Then there's the question of whether we'll see ratification of two huge free trade agreements in the Pacific and Atlantic regions. All this and more is part of my conversation today with international trade attorney Peter Quinter, practice group chair with Gray Robinson. He joins us once again to offer predictions on how the coming year will shape up for global traders. He touches on new criminal penalties for company owners and officers making fraudulent statements to U.S. Customs, new anti-dumping duties, stepped-up enforcement against counterfeit merchandise, and much, much more. And by the way, Quinter was right on 9 out of 10 of his predictions for 2014. So here is my conversation with Peter Quinter. Peter Quinter, welcome back to the program. Pleasure to be here. We spoke to you in late 2013 with your predictions for 2014, and now here we are again talking about the coming year in international trade. I want to start by asking you, how do you see the regulatory landscape shaping up in the year ahead? Any new regulations or rules that importers and exporters need to be aware of? Lots of new changes always coming up from the federal government, especially involving U.S. Department of Homeland Security, and more recently, the both Homeland Security and in the export side, uh, new regulations regarding trade and travel with Cuba. Well, I definitely want to touch on Cuba in a moment, too. But uh, just in general, though, no big laws that were passed that go into effect this coming year? Or is there is there anything that just wasn't on the books in 2014 that suddenly will present itself as something to be dealt with in the year? We've had, we've had both legislative changes at the federal level and some court decisions at the federal level that importers and exporters and transportation companies need to be aware of. So, for example, where cases previously were handled civilly with merely a fine, now the government is pursuing matters criminally. And significantly, this is a trend that's occurring over the years, whereby companies were being prosecuted criminally, now individuals at those companies are also being prosecuted at the highest levels. Owners, officers, and employees, as opposed to just the company itself, right? Exactly. Indeed, that is number one in your top ten predictions on the uh, video you did, to which we will link in the show notes to this episode. You consider that to be the uh, the number one thing to think, be thinking about, right? It's a concern. If you're a C-level executive in any company that's involved in import-export logistics, you need to be aware that now you have personal culpability and liability, whereas ten years ago, for sure, it was just a corporate liability, and that was it. Did that start on January 1? 
I wouldn't say January 1. It's been an increasing trend by the U.S. Department of Justice over the last 10 years and really took off about three years ago. They've made public announcements, and now for the first time in the last year, we're seeing the results of those that trend where people are have been prosecuted, have been tried, and found guilty. Whereas some years ago, it would have been the corporation that probably just would have pled guilty and that would pay a fine and be it. But now the individuals are being charged along with the corporation. Any new developments in disclosure requirements, such as the conflict minerals rule, which went into effect, what I believe, a year ago now, uh, is there anything else like that coming down the pike? There's lots of discussion in Washington, but so far nothing uh, on that part of it has been issued as a final law. One of the things you referenced again in your top 10 on your video was increased enforcement, uh, even of existing rules, specifically enforcement against counterfeit merchandise and an increase in anti-dumping and countervailing duty activities by customs. Could you talk a little bit about that? Why do you see those as being a bigger issue in the year ahead? Yeah, this is this is really huge. The mission of customs and border protection, of course, is anti-terrorism. Uh, their normal commercial enforcement aspect never went away. So if the Chinese or the Mexicans or some other nation is believed to be dumping their products into the United States at less than the, the fair value uh, to take advantage of their government support of the local production in that foreign country and to be at the disadvantage of our local producers of all kinds of products, the U.S. government steps in and creates an anti-dumping duty to level the playing field between the foreign producer and the U.S. producer. There are a record number of anti-dumping duty investigation cases out there. A lot of uh, people then try and engage in what's called the transshipment. So, for example, if you have a product made in China, now you have, there's an, a 200% anti-dumping duty assessed on that product from China when it arrives in the United States. The Chinese supplier would just ship it to a third country like Malaysia or Indonesia, say it's made in that country, and ship it to the United States to avoid the anti-dumping duty. That is happening more often. The U.S. government is aware of it, is pursuing those cases like never before. The government has seen it for decades and has had limited success in pursuing it because of limited funding. Now there's a record amount of funding for this kind of uh, investigation. The government is aggressively pursuing the U.S. companies who are in any way participating in this kind of a circumvention process. And by the way, they're going after them, not just civilly like they used to, and, or seizure of their merchandise, but going after the companies in the U.S. criminally. And moreover, I should ask, add, the foreign customs administrations, like China, are cooperating to a record extent with U.S. customs and border protection. So the investigations are being pursued more often and being successful more often. So that has to do with the anti-dumping and the countervailing duty investigations. You also mentioned the, the intellectual property rights investigations. Uh, which are really mostly trademark violations. As you probably know, it's a multi-billion dollar worldwide business. And the U.S. is a major consumer of counterfeit merchandise. And we're not just talking handbags and cosmetics, uh, but medical devices and pharmaceuticals, the tires in your car. So it gets to be quite serious. The screws that go in an elevator or on an airplane, now counterfeit items that are not quite the same quality as the genuine items become quite significant when it comes to safety, or health of American citizens. So U.S. Customs Border Protection has emphasized as one of the priorities seizure of counterfeit merchandise as it attempts to enter the United States. And there they seized billions of dollars last year in 2014, and I expect the same thing in 2015. Same if not more? Same if not more. I think it will be more. And not only this, I should add, 
a few years ago, U.S. Customs not only stopped, examined, and seized counterfeit merchandise so that they didn't enter the U.S. and became property of the United States, they do two things now. They destroy the merchandise instead of distributing them or selling them at auctions, which they used to do. And a fine is issued to the U.S. importer for attempting to import counterfeit merchandise. So not only does the importer lose the imported merchandise, but they also get fined for trying to bring it in. If I could just get back to the anti-dumping for a moment, I have heard it said that the formula for determining whether a particular nation, China in particular, is involved in anti-dumping activities is such that it almost always finds it to be the case, that very rarely does the U.S. government find that indeed China is not dumping products based on the formula that it assesses against China. Do you think that or do you see that as a problem? It's true. Whenever an investigation has begun, the U.S. Department of Commerce almost always finds that there is a dumping occurred and there's an anti-dumping duty assessment made to protect the domestic industry. The problem with that, though, is the other countries do the same thing to our products. It's a back and forth. If we stop or assess an extra 200% on garlic or tires or saw blades made in China, the Chinese will find some product that's made in the U.S., and do the same thing to us and prevent us from entering uh, our American goods into their country. So in a way, it's a game. And, of course, it can escalate into a trade war if it gets serious enough. That's exactly what happens. I mean, if you look yeah. seriously, you know, in 2014, we had the Russians invading Ukraine. And that has partly become a trade war. And it's a worldwide trade war now. So it's it's uh, significant how these things develop. Now, on the in the area of cooperation, however, you had cited as one of your top 10, I think you put it at number five, an increase in intensity and number of foreign trade agreements with possible conclusion, I don't know that you committed yourself to that, nor has anyone, of the two big ones, the trans, the Atlantic and the Pacific FTAs. What do you think of the prospects for those two gigantic trade agreements in 2015? I would love that to happen, both of them to happen. I don't think either one will happen in the next two years. I think the Atlantic proposal is much more likely to happen first. The Pacific one is has really been delayed. There's been dozens of meetings on both sides for both agreements, but not enough progress so that there's a predicted date when there will be an effective uh, free trade agreement between the uh, United States and the Atlantic countries in Europe or the Pacific countries. I guess a certain amount depends on whether our lame duck president and a Congress controlled by the other party is willing to give him trade promotion authority and fast-track authority. That's exactly right. What's really interesting is uh, with the new Republican-controlled Congress in both houses, the congressional leaders, Republicans, have come out and said that they're generally in favor of more free trade agreements. So now, and the Democrats, you know, President Obama has said, of course, that he is as well. So we actually have, uh, I don't, if, as long as it's not just posturing, we have a real chance to engage in more free trade agreements, and I expect the negotiations will go well. And if, as you said, the fast-track authority goes into place and President Obama gets that authority, or the next president, then I expect two or three years from now a number of free trade agreements to uh, become uh, law. So as controversial as TTIP and TPP are, do you believe it's just a matter of time before they're ratified, or could they actually be scuttled? I think it's a matter of time until they're ratified, but that means anywhere from two to ten years. So it's going to be a while. You know, the China's in Brazil, for example, and the European Union have already numerous free trade agreements with other areas of the world, just like the U.S. does. 
a free trade agreement doesn't necessarily mean, for example, that it'll be the end of anti-dumping duties or countervailing duties or that customs stops looking for counterfeit merchandise. All of that remains. It's just that there will be no, generally, no customs duties collected on cargo coming from one country into the United States and our cargo going to their countries. All the other laws will remain in effect. But the devil is in the details, too, is it not? What about these highly controversial provisions within them that propose that foreign companies who feel that they are harmed by U.S. regulations can be compensated by our government for their loss under the terms of these two big free trade agreements? Isn't that a bit controversial? It's very controversial because our current free trade agreements, for example, the NAFTA, North American Free Trade Agreement, has that in there. And it has been a problem since 1994. So there are other aspects that are being negotiated. Labor employment, do we allow child labor to happen in other countries? Do we allow prison labor to occur in other countries? What about environmental concerns? Do we put in the trade agreements that other countries should have more strict enforcement of environmental laws? So really it gets, you know, what would the, what was the, the agreements talk about how many hours a work week can occur? So there's a lot to be negotiated in these free trade agreements. It's not just what the, the duty rate is on imported merchandise. Well, let's talk about what might be construed as good news for traders. Let's start with a single window. Uh, the idea that uh, one filing for 48 agencies or whatever is on the horizon, if not already partially here. What do you think of the prospects for that in 2015? I'm not sure about something called one window. That's a little bit of a dream. But the U.S. Customs Border Protection, Homeland Security, and the Obama administration are all committed to making it easier for companies to engage in importing and exporting activities. Right now, it's, it's really a bureaucratic nightmare for companies. You have numerous federal agencies, each with their own set of regulations and requirements. And if you're an importer or an exporter of certain kinds of merchandise, you have to satisfy all those requirements and go to all those different agencies with each of them having a different form. And it's a headache. So if there is one contact to handle everything, that would be best. So you think the term single window is a little overly optimistic? Yeah, it is optimistic. It, it, because other, country, be, other countries have what they call that. That's right. That's right. And we are the largest trading partner of every country in the world. But uh, we don't have a single window yet. It's coming. It is coming. Another uh, piece of good news in your top 10 was an increase in the number of preclearance locations. We're going to see that's, that, right? That's fantastic. You know, to make whether it's, we've been talking about trade for the most part so far, travel of passengers becomes so much easier when you have a pre-clearance, U.S. preclearance facility located in some foreign country. Most of ours are in the Bahamas and Canada, uh, but now in the United Arab Emirates is one, and there will be more. Aruba was added a few years ago, and there will be many more added as time goes by. U.S. Customs has been the leader worldwide when it comes to customs administrations and preclearance facilities, and we are teaching other customs administrations how to handle this. And the standards worldwide are actually starting to level off where the other customs administrations are following U.S. Customs. So now there is a more of a level playing field. We're all having similar rules. So it's easier for U.S. Customs to establish a preclearance facility and allow people to clear U.S. Customs before they ever get in the plane overseas. So when they land here in the United States, they clear. They're already cleared. Talking about preclearance, and we are talking about people as opposed to cargo. That's right. That's right. right. But you know what? A uh, good comment, because the same concept that we've been talking about with people is starting to apply to cargo, or has been applied to cargo already. Customs, for the most part, pre-clears cargo before it even gets 
uh, laden aboard a vessel or uh, stowed on on a, a uh, aircraft. We talked last year a little bit about the radioactive scanning idea that every single container entering the United States might be scanned for for bombs or other terrorist-type materials, and that that might happen in overseas ports. But that's kind of a politically sensitive issue, the idea that jurisdictionally uh, other countries have balked a little bit at the idea that our authorities could come into their area to to do that type of activity. Is that a potential obstacle to that happening? It's no longer an obstacle. The other countries are now on board with that concept. U.S. Customs personnel are located overseas, but they have no real authority. They cooperate with the local Customs Administration. So if a U.S. Customs officer says, I want to look at that container before boards a ship in, in, uh, you know, in Germany, in Hamburg, the local Customs officer will make sure that that, vessel, that container is examined, and that means the seal could be broken, the door is opened, they could uh, completely empty the container and look through it to see if there's anything there. But for the most part, the examination without opening the container is done overseas by the foreign customs administrations, which have an agreement with U.S. Customs and Border Protection, Department of Homeland Security, and there's no longer a controversy about that. Customs Trade Partnership Against Terrorism, CTPAT, a program that was originally aimed at importers, now looks like it might be extended to exporters in the coming year. Is that the case, and what are the benefits that might be derived from that? CTPAT, Customs Trade Partnership Against Terrorism, is a success, a phenomenal success for customs. It's been over 10 years now since the program was created, and it was really for U.S. importers to become members of CTPAT. It's expanded significantly since then, but for the first time in 2015, it will now focus on the exports because the rest of the world has copied our program, so the European Union has their own program. If cargo in the United States has been, let's call it, pre-cleared because it's a CTPAT member for exports, it'll arrive in Europe and not have to be examined by their customs administrations. So, again, U.S. Customs and Border Protection has been the leader around the world when it comes to cargo preclearance, passenger preclearance, and now it just makes sense for us to have CTPAT members for, as exporters for cargo going to Europe, Europe and other places. So to the concept of trusted importer, we can now add that of trusted exporter. That's exactly right. And there are already over 10,000 members of CTPAT in the United States, and I expect the number now to double since we're going to add exports to it. I imagine, though, it doesn't make it any easier to try to comply with rules on illegal technology transfer and Ill- illegal transfer of military-oriented uh, type materials to so-called blacklisted countries. That still becomes a big issue for exporters to follow, right? It's a huge issue. It's, it's actually one of the priorities that the uh, Department of Homeland Security, through their Homeland Security Investigations, and the Department of Commerce's Bureau of Industry and Security are focusing on, the sharing of U.S. technology, and that could be materiel, It could be engineering concepts, something that's not physically transported. Uh, We're trying to prevent foreign countries that are not friendly to the United States from uh, gaining access to that kind of technology. And then Cuba. Are we getting ahead of ourselves and thinking that the doors are going to be open in 2015 to the free flow of cargo between the United States and Cuba, or might that actually begin to happen? That's still wishful thinking at this point. You know, President Obama was people's surprise quite courageous in making the announcement back in December 2014 and then issuing new regulations in January. Nevertheless, those regulations are minor modifications of the the previous regulations. There is still no tourism allowed by Americans Cuba. We're still the last country in the world that has the embargo with Cuba. 
there's not a lot of changes yet occurring. It's, it's, it's exciting to see the administration for the first time trying to change what has been a, a policy in effect for over 50 years. And there's a lot of interest of companies to do business with Cuba and for people to travel to Cuba. But be careful because there's still significant bureaucracy and enforcement of the current regulations. It's exciting to watch that private companies in Cuba now are getting some support from the U.S. government, but there's a lot of negotiations still to be had, and I expect in probably August a new set of regulations further loosening the embargo will go into effect, and then we'll see much more significant trade and travel between the United States and Cuba. Okay, that's the year ahead. Time to give yourself a report card on how well you predicted events in 2014. How accurate were you about some of the things you saw coming in that year? I predict made 10 bold predictions, and at least nine uh, came to effect, exactly as predicted. What was the one that you were, didn't quite get right? The <laughs> number 10, a significant bump in pay for U.S. Customs Border Protection <laughs> officers. They did receive uh, an increase, but not a significant one. As you probably know, with sequestration, the federal government and executive branch, including the Department of Homeland Security, uh, received no salary increases for a few years. And there was a minor increase made last year, and there's a, expected to be a bigger one for 2016. Well, this year you do say, number six, you think folk, uh, Customs is going to adopt more of an internal focus and try to address this issue of low morale. Certainly pay is a big con- component of that. That's exactly right. Integrity has always been significant to U.S. Customs. And as I said, Customs is my former employer, U.S. Customs, uh, believes in in integrity. It's part of their doctrine. And it's very interesting as people from around the world deal with U.S. Customs, the experience is so much more positive than dealing with some of the other Customs administrations around the world. Do you think Congress will finally approve a uh, pay increase that Customs will start to see more money flowing its way? Yes. Yeah. There's already, you know, they budget a year ahead of time. The administration proposal and Congressional review seems to be inconsistent. Uh, that is consistent. They're in agreement that there will be a significant pay increase for U.S. Customs and generally for Homeland Security officers. There's already been a huge, in 2014, a huge increase in employment. The number of full-time equivalent units, they call it, uh, full-time equivalent employees. Um, and I expect the, the size, the number of Homeland Security employees will continue to increase. And their salaries will, too seems like a bigger problem right now for importers is congestion at the ports that has nothing to do with customs, though, right? You know, for the first time, actually, I agree. The, uh, the problem is no longer the federal government. The government's doing the right thing. There's some dis- disputes with the unions and uh, lack of infrastructure here in the United States. But uh, customs is not the problem uh, when, when it comes to international trade. Well, Peter Quinter, I want to thank you once again for joining us to give us your outlook for the coming year. It sounds like you were pretty accurate last year, so maybe we can put a lot of stock in what you're saying this year. Thanks very much for that wide-ranging discussion, and maybe we'll talk to you again next year. Thanks for being with us. My pleasure. Thank you. That was my conversation with attorney Peter Quinter giving us a look at the coming year in international trade. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast. We're streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. 
Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time.